There were products that people used to sell on the market that advertised that all you had to do was add water and then you had a complete meal. And so in our lives, the water, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu mentions, tahan vistarita hoi pali prima pal ihan mali sheche nitya shravanadi jal. It's a beautiful metaphor. He says that, that in this world you have to be like a gardener and sprinkle the water of hearing and chanting on the creeper of devotional service. And then tahan vistarita hoi pali prema pal, the creeper will grow to that world, from this world, iha to that world, tahan. And there it'll manifest in the form of the fruit of love of God. And this is the ultimate goal of life. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, prema pumarto mahan. The ultimate goal of life is to attain prema, or love for Krishna. And there's a, there's a system that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught for attaining this prema. He taught it very clearly and systematically. Several places. One was to Srila Rupa Goswami. He spent a full ten days uh, speaking to Srila Rupa Goswami, who was the perfect student, perfectly receptive and, f and <clears throat> highly intelligent. And then to Sanatan Goswami for two months, he instructed him. And of course, we have the life teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his Leela, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita and the Chaitanya Bhagavat, where he taught by example in many ways, showing uh, uh, how to be an I ideal devotee. We can see from his life. And then we have Srila Prabhupada's rendering of all these in the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is like a PhD thesis on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When you read the book from uh, beginning to end, it's miraculous how Srila Prabhupada was able to summarize, not leave out anything, from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And you may notice that it begins at an elementary level and comes to the pinnacle of devotional service in the most esoteric and f finely made points about rasa and the ways in which we have relationship with Krishna. Srila Prabhupada also put it in long form by completing the whole Chaitanya Charitamrita. And of course, up to the 10th canto, 13th chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, as it is, which was a book that really saves the world from the calamity of impersonalism that's infiltrated the hearts and minds of people everywhere. People, as Narada told his disciple Vyasadeva, are naturally inclined to enjoy. And if you give them an excuse through Shastra, then they'll take advantage of it. And uh, he therefore recommended, did Narada, to Srila Vyasadeva, that he be a little more direct as far as presenting the absolute truth and talking about Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and his pastimes. 
Thank you. And then there's a uh, way in which, uh, through progressively learning the philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita and then the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, that we get a clear idea about how to move through this lifetime and develop by practicing uh, bhakti yoga the, the to the various stages of perfection in devotional service and this lifetime that we have now is sufficient to do it we just don't have a lot of time to waste so it's helpful that um, we have association and that the association can be especially utilized by organizing in groups during which we hear and chant from Prabhupada's books and discuss them. Several ways I like to do that. One way is to go through the books and the purport, read the, read the purports and the verses, of course. And then when we find points within the purports, we uh, bring them out and see if they lead to other books. For instance, in a particular verse, Prabhupada might quote the Nectar of Devotion. And then while we're looking at that purport, we can also turn to the section of the Nectar of Devotion where, from which Prabhupada has quoted and read that section and see how it uh, overlaps or how it connects the point, and then it gets elaborated there. And there may be a point there that leads to somewhere else. And uh, in some of these sessions we've had where we keep nearby the, the bound books made out of paper, we'll end up with tables full of books because you pull one and then another. In fact, in our temple, it is kind of Silicon Valley. We have all the books in a bookcase in the temple room that's not a museum piece that you just look inside. You can actually open the door and pull the books out. Because I, I feel that since Prabhupada took so much trouble to make them available, we should also have them everywhere. In fact, when we d distribute sets of books, sometimes people say, I already have one, like I already have a set of Bhagavatams. And my contention is that they should have a set in every room. Because if people can have a television in every room, and I've seen that before, you go to wealthy people's homes and they have enough rooms uh, to host a, a kumbha mela. But in every room they have to have a television. And so why not have a, for, for the way we're headed, why not have a set of books in every room? At least I get a little nervous when I go places where there's not a set of Prabhupada's books. The energy seems a little tenuous there. So we could take shelter of the sound vibration in Srila Prabhupada's books and make advancement in devotional service. And in the process, we can become more deeply connected with other devotees. One of the best ways to do that is recommended by Rupa Goswami when he says, Guyam Akhyati Prashiti. Take time to discuss amongst yourselves 
about your realizations in Krishna consciousness. And the, one of the best ways to do that is, is to have a safe environment where uh, we make sure that nobody's encroaching with an agenda to pull people one direction or another. Everyone's sincerely engaged in trying to help one another to advance and to come to know Krishna better through the Shastras. And nobody's um, <clears throat> it, um, dominating. It's more of a facilitated environment. So everyone has a, a chance to come out and express his or her realizations or concerns or doubts so that they can be uh, dealt with. It's very empowering, actually. I've had that experience myself of just uh, <clears throat> listening to uh, lectures and then feeling edified that, that it answers my doubts. On the other side, when we go too far from the heat of the fire of Krishna consciousness, even for a little while, we, we, can, we can notice that we're very much dependent on being close to it. So this is kind of a, a like a, you know, example, not kind of like an example, is an example of, of what I think is one of the most uh, productive aspects of Krishna consciousness is to have those in the local village, wherever it may be, come together and have a discussion based on hearing from passages from Prophet's books or taking a systematic approach and going through a whole book. That's also really powerful. I always feel like celebrating when I'm able to finish a whole book because it's so easy to get distracted halfway through. You know, there's some world event or whatever astrological influences, schedule changes, and then you remember two years later, yeah, I finished half that book. <laughs> so to be able to actually stay on the horse long enough to get through a whole book is a cause for celebration. Just as much as what Prabhupada said, when he finished a book, writing a book and publishing it, which is no easy task. I've only uh, finished and published one book so far in my life. I plan to do more, but I could, uh, it, to me it was like building a house with my bare hands and to get it all done. And uh, Prabhupada had su such a power, spiritual power. He was able to write 80 books and get them published and distributed and translated in other languages. But the way he put it was, whenever I finish publishing a book, I feel that I've conquered an empire. And if you look at it, uh, historically, somebody writes a book, it is kind of conquering an empire, the empire of thought, because those organized thoughts get inculcated into society when the book goes out. I've even experienced it with my book, my friend Keshav Bharti Maharaj kept, uh, kept at bugging me to finish the book. I finished it several times in my head, but then when I actually sat down to write it, I thought, oh, that's quite different, actually, putting the words on a page. <laughs> I remember I, I had been working on it for a couple of years. but We were really busy. We were traveling and uh, teaching a lot of the tenets that are in the book itself, and then we were at our annual retreat in uh, Govardhan, and Keshav Bardimarsh was my editor for the book. And, you know, I told him I was sincerely working on it, but 
You know, I read this book called the, the, the War of Art. You've heard of the art of war, right? It's called the War of Art. And in it, the author describes what he calls resistance with a capital R. Whenever you try to take up a creative project, there is a powerful force in the universe that uh, pushes against you. And uh, when I get really productive in other ways, when I have a book to write, when I have something to finish, and I notice that I get really busy finishing a lot of things I sh should have finished a long time ago, but then, then I realize I'm doing that because of resistance to actually sitting down and finishing the book and writing it. And then I found myself at our annual retreat in Govardhan early in the morning. I was clandestinely taking a class in Sanskrit and Keshav Bardimarj happened to walk in at 2.30 in the morning and catch me in there. He goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I was kind of embarrassed, but from that day I got serious about putting the table of contents together and then talking to Keshav Bardimarj about fleshing out the table of contents and then uh, thanks to Nirkula and Keshav Bardimarj who ganged up on me, he stayed home for nine months and just uh, finished it. And thinking about how Prabhupada put so much stress on writing his books, one of my thoughts was that I think uh, that although I can't write like Prabhupada did or finish 80 books perhaps, but we can't try to read with the same vigor that Prabhupada wrote. I tried to come up to that mark. And no one uh, can find fault with that. In fact, once in 1973, I was in the San Francisco temple and got invited to a darshan with Prabhupada. He was staying in a little apartment that's a half a block from the San Francisco temple, that was the San Francisco temple. And it happened to be the apartment where Keshavarti and uh, Jayananda Prabhu lived together. They shared the apartment with their wives, and they'd fix it up when Prabhupada came there, because he came there twice, actually. The first time they fixed it up, uh, and then Prabhupada stayed there. They moved somewhere else, and then we went up there. It's on the second floor of, under, uh, over a garage. And then when we, a few of us, were introduced to Prabhupada as book distributors. Prabhupada looked at us and he said, you must also read my books. I've not written these just for selling. I've written them so that you can read them, become pure devotees, and go back home, back to Godhead. And that uh, was a uh, verification for me that despite the fact that there was a frenetic pace in the 1970s and 80s, sometimes 90s, and forevermore there will be <coughs> to make things happen, that it's important to take time to read. So with that, I better start reading. Uh, we're on 11.11. And what's the first number, please? Thank you. 11, 11, 29 to 32. Thank you. 
Somebody's paying attention around here. 29 through 32. Yes. In this verse, Krishna's describing the qualities of a person who is pure. And we're partway through the purport. And we'll continue it. Uh, we are now, if I'm not incorrect, oh yes, okay. On number nine, Danta. These are the qualities of pure devotees. As mentioned by Krishna to Uddhava in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So the ninth quality is called Danta. A devotee is naturally repelled by sinful activities and controls his senses by dedicating all his acts to Krishna. This requires steady concentration and a cautious mentality. Steady concentration and a cautious mentality. Number 10, Mridu. A materialistic person will always see people as friends or enemies and thus will sometimes justify cruel or small-minded behavior in order to subdue his opponents. Since a devotee has taken shelter of Lord Krishna, he does not consider anyone his enemy and is never disturbed by the tendency to desire or enjoy the suffering of others. Thus he is called mridu, or gentle and sublime. 11. Shuchi. A devotee never touches what is impure or improper. And simply by remembering such a pure devotee, one is freed from the tendency to sin. Because of his perfect behavior, a devotee is called shuchi, or pure. 12. A kinchana. A devotee is free from possessiveness and is not eager to enjoy or renounce anything, since he considers everything to be Lord Krishna's property. 13. Aniha. A devotee never acts on his own behalf, but rather for the service of the Lord Krishna. He is therefore aloof from ordinary worldly affairs. I'm going to uh, stop after I do two more. So just uh, be aware that if you would like to contribute by reflecting back something you hear, it'll expand the conversation in a really interesting way. So you can catch things. If you catch your mind uh, finding something interesting, strange way to put it, but um, if you do, save it and you can bring it back in the conversation. Is that fair enough? Everyone agrees? Okay. 14. Mitabuk. A devotee accepts material sense objects only as far as, is, as necessary to keep himself healthy and fit in Lord Krishna's service. He is therefore not entangled by his sense activities and never injures his self-realization. When necessary, a devotee can give up anything for Krishna's service, but he does not accept or reject anything for his personal prestige. 15. Shanta. Those trying to exploit the Lord's creation are always disturbed. A devotee, however, is detached from such pointless activities and understands sense gratification to be diametrically opposed to his self-interest. Being always engaged according to the Lord's desire, he remains peaceful. We'll just take a couple of reflections. Anything that you heard that stuck in your mind? Javi Prabhu? 
Okay. I started reflecting before we start reading this when you spoke about the war of art and how um, resistance is there constantly. And it's a fact that this resistance, this opposition in every field and in every action and in, uh, to every goal is, is very hard, very, it's constant, the opposition. So it's like the hard struggle of existence becomes evident so when we go, when we see this, a devotee never acts on his own behalf, but rather for the service of Lord Krishna. The conviction has to be so strong that there is no way to win this war with the material nature. Because if one has this conviction, why would somebody continue, insist? as a result of addiction or stubbornness. And so it's, it's, uh, it's nice to know that there are persons who have won in a different way. Won the war. Yeah, in a different way. <laughs> yeah, and when you said that, it brought my mind back to the point about being cautious. It's a there's a purport in which Prabhupada writes that the devotee should be cautious in moving about the world and never consider that I'm liberated because once one feels entitled, entitlement is the opposite of gratitude. And when I become spoiled by entitlement and think I deserve something, then I can't feel gratitude. And also, I may put down my guard as well and think that I don't have to be as careful as other people because, after all, I'm entitled to more. It's refreshing, however, to consider oneself a beginner at all times. First of all, it's interesting because I miss so much by considering that I already know everything or that I can't learn from certain people because they're beneath me. And as uh, the great devotee Mahatma Prabhu once said, or said several times, the four words that block all learning are, I already know that. And so, it's uh, important to know what, what I think uh, Javi Prabhu pointed out that there's always the, the force of, re of resistance and as soon as we're not making advancement then we're going backwards. There's no staying s still. <laughs> you can't stay in the same place. You have to be moving forward. Uh, let's hear some other reflections. Yes, Devavrata Prabhu. This uh, last point, Shanta, those trying to exploit the Lord's creation are always disturbed. You know, I was just thinking in Krishna book, or maybe it's the Bhagavatam where Prabhupada is talking about Kamsa and Vasudev, how um, those that Kamsa was willing to do anything for his own sense gravitatory exploits, 
and Vasudeva is, any, is willing to do anything for the goodwill of humanity. And so I was just thinking how Kamsa was just he's constantly in anxiety, despite the fact he just wanted this one thing to happen. He wanted to see that Krishna was dead. He's constantly in anxiety. You see the same thing in Ravana. In Ravana, although he, although he, you know, was had collected so many things, he still felt like it wasn't enough. And he was constantly disturbed because of it. And it brought him to the point where he committed an offense against Lord Ram. And then after he committed offense against Lord Ram, despite the fact he was given so much good advice from all sides, he was still ultimately defeated. Whereas a devotee is not interested in exploiting Krishna's creation. He's interested in utilizing that for the purpose of glorifying Krishna. So therefore, as Prabhupada or PBT says, he remains peaceful. Yeah, and there's, it's palpable when somebody has that disposition. As is mentioned in the Sad Goswami Ashtakam by Srinivasa Acharya, Dhira Dhira Priyakaro Priyakaro, that there's uh, a way in which the six Goswamis of Vrindavan were dear, Priya, even to the, as Prabhupada translated, the ruffians, Adhira or Adhira whether the people were stalwarts in practicing controlling their minds or whether they were wanton sense enjoyers both of them felt the goodwill of the Goswamis because they had attained this state of not having a stake in the material world it's the most powerful force when somebody doesn't have a vested interest in exploiting another and does something for us without that motive it uh, is palpable and it's hard to reciprocate actually because what do you do when someone does something selflessly for you and it didn't turn out they wanted to bore you or your lawnmower or uh, they had something at the end of the proposition that meant that now I want something from you. I learned this in communications, a communications class, about when writing a letter to somebody, or an email, that if you have something to ask them, a favor to ask, do it in the front, and then add your glorification of the person at the end. In other words, don't start with, you know, one of the nicest people I know, and your kids, by the way, are really bright. And then at the end you say, and by the way, I need to borrow $50. Then people think, <laughs> actually, they didn't mean any of that first stuff. They just wanted to borrow $50. So they said, did my teachers, you, you do it the other way around. Be straightforward, tell them what you want. There's a, a radar that living entities have to sense intention. In fact, that's what we do sociologically, try to figure out people's intentions. Even in the legal system, they try to gauge, well, they do gauge how serious of a crime one has committed based on somebody's intention to do it. If you're cleaning your bow and arrow and it accidentally goes off through the window and it pierces somebody in the next department, I don't know if that's ever happened, but <laughs> you didn't mean to, you're just cleaning it. 
it's not as serious a crime as if you aimed it or if you followed the person and they found driving directions and duct tape in, the, in your trunk that you were trying to capture somebody. It was premeditated. The intention was obvious. So having a uh, state of mind in which your only intention is to serve Krishna is noticeable. If you're around people like that, start to notice that it uh, has a subtle but very moving influence on us. So it's, uh, it's contrary to the idea that if I'm witty enough or I have power by money or military force that I can control others, but actually even Krishna is controlled by love and he's unconquerable. What to speak of others? It's the most worthwhile occupation, becoming purified of the tendency to exploit others. Would somebody else like to offer a reflection? Anything you heard? Yes, Prabhu. So this regarding Mitha book. So there are three variations, a Mitha book, Hitha book and Ritu book. Hitha means that which is good for the body. And Ritu means according to the seasonal, what's the season around wherever you are living, whatever the Mother Earth provides. So my question was regarding Mitha book. So we see Chaitanya Charita Amrit, full of, you know, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his associates taking prasadam to the neck. So how, how we can <coughs> make a borderline while taking prasadam? What's the exact definition of Mitha book? That means taking just half belly prasad. You take half belly prasad. As per Ayurveda, mitha means half. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my god brothers used to um, always fast on Akadashi completely. And I remember this. Uh, he visited a um, a venerable Vaishnav who actually was a godbrother of Srila Prabhupada's, and when he was at that ashram, the uh, venerable Vaishnava Anakadashi had invited him to take prasad, even though he had this vow that he would always fast. And then uh, he accepted because the Vaishnava, a very advanced Vaishnava, had asked him to take and that Vaishnava was very pleased. He said, you've understood <laughs> the principle that you should take if you're asked by uh, a Vaishnava. Of course, even himself Vaishnava, he's talking about, you know, in general terms. So uh, when we're doing as service, and there is a way that we're pleasing Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's associates would actually... Um, wait until he would take. And they enjoyed the pastimes of taking prasadam together. At one point, um, the devotees went out to beg for... Uh, 
actually Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went out to beg and all the shopkeepers came out and they wanted to give so much that Surup Damodar had to come and say, no, no, wait, this is too much, we can't handle it all. And he collected just enough. And when the devotees would have feasts together, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would personally serve with his own hand. And uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's hands were large. And therefore, Kaviraj Goswami describes how when he would serve prasadam, his personal lotus hand on the devotees' plates, it was a huge amount. And if you were sitting there in the assembly of eternal associates of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Mahaprabhu put a huge portion of Malpur on your plate from Jagannath Mandir, what are you going to say? Mita book? <laughs> there is a time for that. We control our senses really not by mechanical force or militaristic uh, endeavors, but by using them to please the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Anyabilashita shunyam or sarvapati venirmuktam tatpratvena nirmulam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchate. And we may notice that at appropriate times when, when we're asked to take more in the right environment, then there's no uh, effect, no, no bad effect that we lose our, our gravity. Well, we may lose our gravity for a moment because it's intoxicating. To be in the Association of Devotees, for instance, after a big festival, we had a temple in ISV. It was a little oven, actually. I never wanted to move that place, but we had no choice because we got kicked out everywhere else. We were in a house to start with, and the neighbors came and said, are you guys running a church here out of your house? <laughs> he said, you better get out of here. And so we moved to a storefront, and uh, I don't think the landlord appreciated the John Mashtami festivals there. Uh, he kicked us out too. Didn't renew our lease after a couple of years. And then we moved to this little commercial building that I thought would never do for a temple, but somehow or other it did for seven years. And uh, sometimes on Janmashtami, you know, we'd have thousands of people come. And of course, we'd have to tarp out the parking lot so everyone could fit. Remember that little place? Anyone? Nunga, were you there? You were there, Trisha. Yeah, that's where you came in. So. And then we had no air conditioning, so in the summertime it was hot and everyone was in there. We had a John Mashtimi festival. There was an Abhi Sheikh. There was some festival, maybe near Kula remembers, but I remember His Holiness Giriraj Maharaj was there. And we sat down near the back of the temple room. And for some reason, somebody, the procurement officer of our temple, had it in his head that we should have the tiniest cups on the planet to serve things in. That lasted for several months. Tiny, tiny little cups, about this big. But that night we had had an Abhishek and then they, uh, they gave uh, Girash Maharaj and myself. I was just imitating whatever he would do because that's what I do in life, try to follow him. And so he, he took some Charnamrita in a little cup and then he said, he drank one, and he said, I'll have another. And so they put another one, and he, 
So they got the idea that he was going to keep taking the Charnamrita, so they started lining them up. Like there was a little row, so I lined them up also. And because he was drinking Charnamrita, I said, whatever, how many cups he drinks, that's how many I'm going to drink. Now, I wouldn't exactly call that Mita Buk, <laughs> but it was ecstatic, and it left a, some scar in my mind of uh, being very, very happy uh, to be there in the association of a pure Vaishnav and to take prasadam together with a godbrother, a senior godbrother. And to, uh, that uh, remembrance, I hope I remember that when I leave my body. That's our higher principle of honoring prasadam. We, we honor prasadam, seeing that it's non-different from Krishna. And then when we're in the association of devotees, you might uh, have noticed, if you've read the Sharanagati or the Gitavali, there's songs that Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote for taking prasadam. Are you aware of that? Do you know one of them? Now be careful, people come from all over the MVT. <laughs> it's the most popular song in ISKCON. My favorite song, anyway. And after that, there's other songs. And each one of them, he's made a notation that you're, you sing this before you take prasad, you sing this one during prasadam, you sing this one for eating kitri. This song is for taking sweets. It's a joyful singing experience, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates would honor the prasadam from uh, Lord Jagannath. And they, they would, somebody would sponsor it, it would come in in huge pots, and this was uh, one of their ways of worshiping the Lord, by honoring prasad in, this, in the association of Mahabhagavatas. So that's our tradition. When I joined the Hare Krishna movement, I was skinny as a rail because I thought that fasting uh, to death was part of the spiritual process. And when I joined, they said, no, no. In fact, there was a saying, you're supposed to eat as a, so much prasadam that you waddle like a duck. I don't know who made that up, but they definitely started feeding me a lot. And I remember I... I thought I was a, a great renunciate when I joined, and then here I was amidst these actual pure devotees, and then I kind of got attached to the idea of eating enough to waddle like a duck. And at a Sunday feast, soon after I had joined the temple and become a monk, I drank so much sweet rice that I had to go next door in the big, huge garage that I had there by myself and lean against the wall, and it went through my head that if I die, of overeating after having told all my friends and family that, you know, I'm a monk. <laughs> it's going to be in the Contra Costa Times where I come from. <laughs> this little twerp <laughs> ate himself to death. <laughs> and I remember that the devotees used to eat so much at the Sunday feast because that was practically their only sense gratification. We get up early in the morning and we walk to school in the snow. No, we get up early in the morning and we go to Mangalartik every day and have activities all day long and then have an evening program, go to bed, wake up. But there, I do remember a particular time when I noticed that um, it wasn't absolutely necessary to stuff myself at every Sunday program. Because I noticed that it, there were... Um, 
there were definitely some effects from that. It wasn't, I wasn't impervious to the, f just because it was prasadam. And Prabhupada mentions this in his purports that just for the sake of satisfying the tongue, we shouldn't overeat. However, in certain circumstances, when one's in association with devotees and it's a joyful festival, uh, there may be times in which it's a, it's a way to serve the devotees and the way to serve Krishna is by honoring the prasadam joyfully and singing and rolling on the ground. Why are you laughing? Divyanga's writing stuff. <laughs> okay. That's my friend in Florida. And uh, we have all these inside jokes. So something's coming in. <laughs> Any other reflections? Yes. Microphone. Krishna, I'm, I'm not sure if it's in line with what you're saying, but since you spoke about uh, eating prashad with the senior persons, I once Kiriyat Swami was having prashad with Srila Prabhupada at a life member's house, and he was on his right hand side. And he thought that Srila Prabhupada is here, so I shouldn't be greedy and I should just eat very, you know, free, frugally. And, but the host uh, kept coming around with sweets, and he would say no. He had one rasgulla, and then after that he said, I'm a brahmachari, I'm not supposed to have more sweets. So he kept saying no. So then Srila Prabhupada looked at him very lovingly and said, you can take a sweet to please an old man. Oh, that's Thank nice. You. I have one too. Is, was that done? Okay, so... There was a controversy at one of our early ISKCON temples because the devotees used to distribute the sweet balls like Simply Wonderfuls. I can attest to that because it was one of my first services. Uh, when I joined, I was given a big box of Simply Wonderfuls. That's after I decided that it was okay to take a lot of prasadam. That was a big mistake to give me a box because I had a policy, one for them and one for me. <laughs> Nonetheless, in many temples, there was this distribution of sweet balls. And so sometimes there were lots of them left over. So the devotees at this particular temple were fond of taking the extra sweet balls and then mixing them into their porridge. And the temple president, was Hansaduda, and he said, this is not right. It's not mitabuk, and you're taking too much, and I uh, shouldn't eat so many sweets. And a controversy ensued. If all the controversies in the world were about this nowadays, we'd still be in a pretty good shape. So, not that we're not in good shape, I'm just saying those were lightweight. So, <clears throat> they took it to Prabhupada, the big controversy. So they told him that Hansaduda, you know, doesn't allow us to take these extra sweets. He says, everyone can only have one. So Prabhupada was the judge. And he said, okay, here's the verdict. Everyone can have as many sweets as they want, but Hansaduda can only have one. So, devotee 
as a Bhagavatam says, Kamasya Nendriya Pritir Labo Jivate Yavata, Jivasya Tattva Jignasya Narto Yascheha Karmavi. One should live a healthy, balanced life for the purpose of being vigorous enough to always inquire about Krishna and practice Krishna consciousness. And we have to have an awareness of that, that on one side we have a body to maintain. We should maintain it in the best way we possibly can so we can stay healthy for a long period of time. And uh, but the other, on the other side we have to be aware of the will of the Vaishnavas and of Krishna when it's time sometimes to take prasadam in, at a larger quantity. Okay, I'm going to read a couple more. Is everyone still okay? If there's any comments online too that you want to bring up, you can. Okay, next one is stira. Remembering that Lord Krishna is the basis of everything, a devotee does not become fearful or impatient. The devotee does not become fearful or impatient because he remembers that Lord Krishna is the basis of everything. 17. Matsharana. A devotee does not take pleasure in anything except serving Lord Krishna and is constantly attentive in the execution of his duties. A devotee knows that only Lord Krishna can protect him and engage him in useful work. 18. Muni. A devotee is thoughtful and through intelligent contemplation avoids becoming distracted from his spiritual advancement. By intelligence he is freed from doubts about Lord Krishna and confronts all problems in life with steady Krishna consciousness. Krishna conscious activities to Lord Krishna. I seem to be missing 19. Do you have it? That's funny. Somehow something's truncated here. Thank you. Apramatta. One who forgets the Supreme Lord is more or less crazy, but a devotee remains sane by offering his activities to Lord Krishna. Then we have 20. Gabhiratma. As a devotee merges into the ocean of Krishna consciousness, his own consciousness becomes deeper and deeper. Ordinary, superficial persons hovering on the material platform cannot fathom the extent of a devotee's awareness. 21. Dritiman. By controlling the urges of the tongue and genitals, the devotee remains steady and patient and does not impulsively change his position. 22. Jitta Shadguna. By spiritual knowledge, a devotee is able to conquer the pushings of hunger, thirst, lamentation, illusion, old age, and death. 24. Mana da. A devotee offers all respects to others since everyone is part and parcel of Lord Krishna. 25. Kolya. A devotee is expert in making people understand the truth of Krishna consciousness. 26. Maitra. A devotee does not cheat anyone by encouraging them in the bodily concept of life. Rather, his missionary work, by his missionary work, a devotee is the true friend of everyone. 27. Karunika. A devotee tries to make people sane and thus is most merciful. He is paradhukaduki, or one who is unhappy to see the unhappiness of others. 
Okay. What's the next word you have there? What's going on? Maybe I Huh? Okay. It works better this way. Kavi. A devotee is expert in studying the transcendental qualities of Lord Krishna and is able to show the harmony and compatibility of the Lord's apparently contradictory qualities. This is possible through expert knowledge of the absolute nature of the Lord. Lord Chaitanya is sober, softer rather, than a rose and harder than a thunderbolt. But these opposing qualities can easily be understood in terms of the Lord's transcendental nature and purpose. One who is always able to understand the truth of Krishna consciousness without opposition or confusion is called kavi, or most learned. The position of those on the spiritual path can be understood in terms of their development of the qualities mentioned above. Ultimately, the most important quality is to take shelter of Lord Krishna since the Lord can award all good qualities to his sincere devotee. In the lowest stage of devotional service, one acts with a desire to enjoy sense gratification, but at the same time tries to offer the fruits to the Lord. This stage is called karma mishra bhukti. As one gradually purifies himself in devotional service, he becomes detached through knowledge and gains relief from anxiety. <coughs> in this stage, he becomes attached to transcendental knowledge, and therefore this stage is called jnana mishra bhukti or devotional service to Lord Krishna with a desire to enjoy the fruits of transcendental knowledge. But because pure love for Krishna is actually the greatest happiness and the natural position of the living entity, a sincere devotee gradually overcomes his desire to enjoy sense gratification and knowledge and comes to the stage of pure devotional service which is devoid of personal desire. Nakarmani tyajad yogi karma bis tyajatehi saha the yogi should not give up his work, but rather should cultivate detachment by which his material activities will automatically vanish. In other words, one should continue to perform one's prescribed duties, even imperfectly. If one is sincere about advancing in Krishna consciousness, then by the strength of bhakti-yoga, his activities will gradually be transformed into pure loving service. There are innumerable examples of fruit of workers, mental speculators, and materialistic devotees who become perfect by the strength of devotional service. By rendering loving service to Krishna, one automatically experiences the greatest pleasure of life and is endowed with perfect knowledge. There is nothing lacking in the process of pure devotional service, and there is no need for any extraneous endeavor to acquire sense pleasure or philosophical satisfaction. One must be completely convinced that simply by serving Krishna, one will get all perfection in life. One must be completely convinced that simply by serving Krishna, one will get all perfection in life. Even if one lacks some or all of the above-mentioned qualities, one should sincerely engage in Lord Krishna's service, and gradually one's character will become perfect. I'm just going to uh, interject a little bit here. Oh, Bhaktabhad is back. Welcome, Bhaktabhat. He's here to do a service of collecting any mosquitoes. That's his quota. You can have it. And he's very fond of Havi Prabhu's kirtan. He usually waits for that to come out and do his services. So a couple points came to my mind, and I will continue this in a minute, but I just want to emphasize these. So uh, one is the 
the very definition of shraddha, which is given in the Chaitanya Charnamrita as follows. Shraddha shabde vishvas kahe suridhanishjoy krishne bhakti koila sarva karma krita hoy. This is a helpful definition, to say the least, because it describes, first of all, the word shraddha means da is an active verb. It means where you place something. And shrad means the heart. So it's what you're putting your heart into. In fact, this is such a vital consideration because <clears throat> when we transmigrate from this body, the preponderance of our thoughts is what is, uh, which is what develops our next situation. In fact, our mental situation, as the Yoga Sutra puts it, gets filled in by material nature. We get an exact print of what we are looking for in this life because of our aggregate of desires that we've accumulated by our association. And therefore, Krishna explains this in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita and advises us to fix our minds on, on Him as the supreme enjoyer and the controller of everything and as the best friend and engage in devotional service. So, shraddha shabde vishwas kohe suridhanishchoy. When we develop this firm conviction, vishwas, that by doing bhakti and nothing else required, nothing else required, that all other duties or karmas are completed. Krishna bhakti koile sarva karma kritahoy means that all the other things that I I, I feel are necessary to advance in life are not necessary. All that's necessary is performing devotional service. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Vedeshu yagdeshu tapasu chaiva tapasu that if you're doing tapasya or studying the Vedas, Vedeshu yagdeshu tapasu chaiva you're doing tapasya, you're doing um, charity, giving in charity, that's all of these uh, are completed by the process of bhakti. He said, you, you won't be bereft of the results of all these if you do bhakti. And that point, uh, it frees the mind or it focuses the mind. As Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Vyavasayatmika buddhir ekeha kurunandana bahushaka hyanantascha buddhayo vyavasainam. That is that we are best served by having one-pointed attention on the process of devotional service. Or as Bhagavatam says, Tasmade Kena Manasa Bhagavan Sattvatam Pati Shrotavya Kirtitavyascha Dyeya Pujasta Nityada Sutta Goswami to the sages at Naimasharanya says that therefore, Tasmat Ekena, you should have one pointed attention, Manasa, Ekena Manasa, your mind should be going one way. Bhagavan Sattvatam Pati towards uh, Bhagavan, Krishna, because he's the pati, he's, he's our protector, maintainer. And then how to do that? Shrotavya kirtitavyascha means to hear, chant, and cha, many other processes of devotional service. Jaya, puja, chanityada. So you meditate on him, you should do worship, puja. And how, how frequently we should do it? Nityada means a lot. You should do it a lot. There's no uh, prohibition on, or there's no uh, 
limit to how much one can hear and chant. You can expand it unlimitedly. It takes practice, however, but that's what we're supposed to do in order to come to this uh, feeling of being um, fully connected to Krishna, the process of devotional service. In fact, Bhagavatam says that by hearing and chanting the association of pure devotees, especially from the Srimad Bhagavatam, that we reestablish our relationship with Krishna, who's there within the heart. And then uh, the second concept was that despite our imperfections, we may have a career that doesn't quite fit our needs. Well, one thing Prabhupada said about career is be inventive. You're never going to find a perfect career. And, ba and Krishna says the same thing in the Bhagavad Gita 18th chapter when he mentions that every endeavor is covered with some sort of fault just as fire is covered by smoke. So don't become discouraged that your life isn't perfectly organized because you have uh, a kind of occupation that doesn't seem like it's completely pure. It's just the way it is. But if you simultaneously continue your process of devotional service as you're doing your work, then you'll, you'll gradually come to the perfect stage. Give some evidence. Uh, Bhagav Sri Yashapanishad says, Vidyam cha vidyam cha yas tadvedo bayam saha avidyayam ratum tirtva vidyayam ratum ashnute. Only one who can learn the process of nations and that of transcendental knowledge side by side can transcend the influence of repeated birth and death and enjoy the full blessings of immortality. And also, uh, Krishna mentions that in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, that despite the fact that we're not perfect in our devotional practice, that uh, we should continue uh, with faith. He says, Jatashrata makkatasu nirvina sarva karmasu, that uh, in the beginning, Veda dukat makankamam prityagi pyanishvara. So here he's saying that when your faith uh, in hearing and chanting has awakened, but, and you also know, not but, and you also know that all sense gratification leads to misery. However, that's where however comes in. However, you don't have the strength to control your senses. <laughs> he says, uh, like Ishvara means a controller, it also means the strength to do something. So he says, uh, if you, you still can't give up sense gratification at that point, even though you're fully convicted that this is the perfect, perfection of life is just doing bhakti. Um, Thank you. So there's a, he finishes by saying that Garayan, you can be a little bit regretful, a little bit, like a spice, like uh, asphatida. Don't put too much. Put so little that people go like, is there any asvatita in this? Eh, maybe. Maybe not. 
If you can't tell, I'm not going to tell you. If you put enough so they go, there's asphatida in here, you put too much. So same thing with regret. Don't get too regretful because you'll get waylaid pathological regret that I'm, I'm, I'm too fallen to devotional service, so I might as well not do it. That doesn't work. Krishna says, don't do that. He says, uh, continue faithfully on the path because you'll come to the stage of perfection by doing this eventually. Be patient. We heard that. And um, once when I was standing at Govardhan Hill and a couple of young devotees had come with me and I came back from my Govardhan Parikram and they were on the roof. That's where we stayed at that time. And, and these two young devotees, that I was, they weren't that young. I mean, they were in their 20s. But that's young to me now. So then they were over on the side, and they saw me come up the stairs, and they were really excited. It's like two scientists had just discovered a, you know, the polio vaccine or something like that. I shouldn't say anything about vaccines. So um, then they were like really excited and they were over there in a state so they kind of called to me and i came over and they said they said i remember they were holding the book called the light of the bhagavad they said i think we found something i was like let me see what it is and they read me this passage and it was about the uh the autumn season and and in vrindavan it talks about its mating season, and there, uh, the the analogy is based on the fact that when a female is pregnant, then she's going to give birth. It's just the way it is. And so, in the beginning, when it's like, well, when am I going to take birth? Just wait. You're going to take birth or give birth. So, in the purport, Prabhupada talks about the force of devotional service. He said it has its own natural force, and that. If uh, you, you continue patiently on the path of devotional service, despite the anomalies and despite your own limitations, you're going to be successful. He said, even if you don't want it. Somebody, just like, you know, you're pregnant and it's like, I don't want it. Too late now, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, he, he gave that example in that, in that context, which is, you know, a very stark example, a very understandable uh, example. And he said even missteps in practicing devotional service may not be detrimental. They may, or they actually, he didn't use the word may uh, in the second part of the clause. He said they will become uh, the pillars to success. Or maybe he said may. I'd have to look. In any case, it's all positive and um, encouraging and optimistic. And I, I guess that's the wrong word because saying optimistic means that you're hoping for something good, but he's positive about it just because that's the, that's the metaphor. You're pregnant, you're going to give birth. So similarly, you start the process of devotional service. It's not an excuse to backpedal, but for those who are sincere, it's a, a great... Um, encouragement to go on steadily with your devotional service. It reminds me also, it's uh, <clears throat> advice that Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur gave, and that is don't try to be a great devotee, just try to be a good devotee, which means 
just stay in the game. Or even if you can't play, just make sure you stay on the team. If you're on the bench when they win the championship, you're going to get a ring too. <laughs> you, you got to go on the parade, the whole thing. Your name will be in the paper. Don't worry about it. Just be there somewhere and uh, stay in it. And you're going to win. You can't lose with Krishna. He's so powerful. And devotional service, the pure bhakti is so powerful that if you have a molecule of it, then that's going to attract Krishna. In fact, I read just yesterday in the Sri Brahma Sanghita, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati gives this comment that if you have mixed devotional service, then you have some pure devotional service because what's it mixed with? There's a mixture means there's something pure in there. That's the way devotees see it. That's the way Krishna sees it. Apichet sudarachoro bhajate mamananya bhak sadareva samantavya samyag vyavasitohisa if you have a drop of sincerity, then you're going to be successful. And he declares it. He mandates it to everybody that you have to see this and you have to understand that the Vaishnava, uh, whatever level he or she is at, is going to be successful because of my power. Sri Prabhupada Dharma Shashvash Chantim Nagachati Kanteya Pratijanihi Nami Bhaktya Pranashati. You should declare it boldly, Arjuna, that they're going to be successful because they're following my path. That's how powerful bhakti is. So we can take full shelter of bhakti even if we feel that uh, we're the odd person out, we're the runt of the liver, any other colloquialisms, any of these things. Yes, Prabhu. Bhakti Bat, I think we need you back out here. Okay, go ahead. I always had this question for many years, and I never asked. Um, we see that um, at every um, Ekadashi, for example, says that whoever follows this in this way, he will never take birth again. It's also in the Bhagavatams, uh, uh, in the Bhagavatam, uh, repeatedly, uh, anybody who uh, um, finishes this this story till the end anybody who he will never take birth again is this literally or this is just a form of encouraging the devotee because where do we draw the line it, right? well in some of the Goswami's commentaries they mention how in some of the Vedic writings there are exaggerations to encourage us. And they also say that there are uh, case studies of certain people who have attained certain things under these circumstances. But it doesn't necessarily, it, it just shows what can happen, not what happens to everybody. However, they go on to say then that there's never any exaggeration when it comes to the holy name. Because the, the statements about the holy name are all true and not exaggerated. You can't exaggerate on that point. That, that also implies the, uh, for example, the fifth cant of the Bhagavatam uh, and the description of the, of the hellish planets. Is this also valid? It's an exaggeration on the, for the other side to, you know, that we can uh, some 
fear in the heart of a practitioner? Well, what he's explaining there are the extremes that come from interacting with the modes of material nature. There's the heavenly planets and then there's the hellish planets. And these are conditions created by the um, various combinations and permutations of the three modes of material nature. So it's not untrue because uh, actually uh, we have the vantage point being on the earthly planet, which is, happens to be right in the middle, that we can see both conditions here. Uh, some heavenly, to some degree, can understand what a heavenly condition might be like. And we can also see uh, hellish conditions here uh, during wartime, torture, uh, what human beings do, do other, to other human beings. Uh, Sigmund Freud talked about how they're there is no bottom to it all. <laughs> it's, it's a bottomless pit. The, the, how degraded a human being can get and how torturous uh, he or she can be to, to others. And we've seen examples of that. We can see it before our own eyes here. So it's the, the, the descriptions there are valid. Certainly they're meant to sober us up, to say that here, here are the results of uh, wanton living without any guidance from the Shastra. You can fall into, that's Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, urdvam gachati sattvasta madhyam tishtanti rajasa jaganya gunarvitista adogachanti tamasa so this word jaganya means it's really bad, like horrible, the mode of ignorance. I mean, how horrible is it? Read the fifth canto. That's how bad it can get. But about, uh, you know, he was very conciliatory, conciliatory and ecumenical. But, um, you know, the way prop, meaning that, you know, when he talked about the hellish planets and so forth, and he gave, in, in his ecumenical conversations, he was giving some kind of uh, concessions so that people would come to the essence of the point and not get distracted. But for our purposes, we can see uh, that Prabhupada took them quite literally, and, but we can see for ourselves that they're literal by seeing how, how hellish the material world can get. No, thank you, Prabhu. Thank you very much. Actually, I was just uh, appreciating the verse with the Jata Shraddha, the one that I feel is very one of the most hopeful purports and the verse that actually Prabhupada mentions. I mean, when I'm reading all the qualities, it always looks quite daunting that whether it will be it will be possible to happen. But the references that you mentioned, it was very helpful. I had one question in this regard. Uh, we hear that uh, we hear you know Jasya Se Bhakti Bhagavata Kinchana that by practicing devotional service to develop all the good qualities. So does it mean that at the same time we are also endeavoring from our side to develop those qualities? So what's the uh, balance of it, whether we work towards developing those qualities or we just wait and we perform devotional service and hopefully that the, these qualities develop in us? Well, the very desire to develop the qualities comes from spiritual strength. Some It doesn't come into the minds of many people, 
Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janayashivayaragyam Gyanam Chayara Haitukam. When we when we're exposed or we expose ourselves or we partake of the holy name and the association of pure Vaishnavas, that's our choice, then we feel ourselves improved. And improved means that we have a desire to be better, that we have the spiritual strength to actually be ladies and gentlemen. Uh, nowadays, people just let themselves go, and they get into all kinds of trouble because they don't have any training and they don't have any exposure to good association. So they have no, there's no mitigating factor. The modes just pull them right down. But we, on the other hand, have the uh, benefit of good association and transcendental sound vibration. And, and through the practice, even if it's minimal, we'll f feel uh, a modicum of, of yoga balena or spiritual strength. And that that gives intelligence through which we can see what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing. When we come to sattva gun, in fact, as Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, then we get clarity about what's proper and what's improper. Most people get turned around and they think uh, that they do improper things and think that that's proper. Um, and in the mode of ignorance, they just don't know anything. They're just being... Um, <coughs> they're enveloped by darkness. So we get the intelligence to do the right things by practicing devotional service. And we do need to take initiative to follow that good intelligence, to rectify ourselves. Because uh, it's coming from Krishna, the intelligence, how to interact with others, how to avoid offenses, and so forth. Tesham satata yuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dadami buddhiyogam tam yenamam upayantite. Otherwise, uh, what's the practice for? That um, the Vedanta Sutra says that you know, we are agents for change. And the, the logic that Srila Vyasadeva gives is that if we weren't agents for change, why is the Shastra speaking to us? If the Shastra says you should do this and not that. If we didn't have the agency to take it up, then it wouldn't make any sense <laughs> because they're asking us to do something. So we, we need two things. We need uh, knowledge and practice. And also, actually, we, there's vairagya is necessary also. Touch munayo jnana vairagya yuktaya pasyantyatmanichatmanam Sudha Goswami says in the beginning of the Bhagavatam that to uh, advance in devotional service, you need to be fortified. Touch Tradhana, the faithful person, Munayo, the faithful Munis. Jnana Vairagya. You should have Jnana and Vairagya. You need those two. You get that from chanting. Good rounds. Jnana Vairagya Yuktaya Pashyantyatmani Chatmanam. Bhakta Shruta Gita, and it also says that we should be thoughtful. We should be thoughtful about it, to take advantage of it. And just consider the phraseology in Trinatapi Sunichena, Turur Api Suhishnuna, Amani Namanadena, Kirtaniya Sadahari. It may be semantics, but I think it re relates to this that Lord Chaitanya says he should be ready to offer respects to all living beings. How do you get ready for that? 
It means you be, be prepared all the time through your intelligence, fortify your intelligence so when you're interacting with the world, you should give respect to others and don't take any for yourself. So get ready for it. And Narada Muni says in the Briyat Bhagavatam Rita that in one's deeds and with one's body and mind, one should always practice dainya or extreme humility. So it's a practice. So it's simultaneous. We have to do both things. And that brings us to the end of our show tonight because it's getting late. And tomorrow morning, we got an early departure just to the other side of brunch. And uh, it's been such a lovely time being here. We'll be back. Um, but tonight, I mean. I mean, Christian Willing will be back. But thank you very much, all of you, for coming for, uh, from various places to partake of this uh, process of hearing and chanting. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. Vajagop Drusha Kripas Nabe Vachapatitanam Pavanibyo Vaishnavebyo Namo.